Welcome to Ground Cover. This is Lorraine Gordon from the Regenerative Agriculture Alliance at Southern Cross University. Today we interview Helen and Mike McCosker, an inspiring couple, team and family who farm north of Inverell. Helen and Mike are truly pin-up custodians of the land who love their country and their community. They are the most passionate, driven ambassadors for rural life I have ever met. Mike will talk about how a chemical poisoning event resulting in his ill health led him down a different path when it came to farming. His wife, Helen, will bring a beautiful focus on the importance of building resilience in our communities in times of hardship. When Mike talks about regenerative agriculture, he refers to rebuilding soil health, the carbon levels in the soil, the biological activity in his soils, the resilience of the whole system. He talks about reviving and restoring our communities, both in landscapes and in our towns. Helen has a strong focus on community resilience, and she's managed to do this through art and music activities and bringing the community together in tough times like drought. There is a very strong connection with Helen and Mike to the land, to their community, and you'll hear them saying, don't leave the heart out of regenerative ag. I bring to you Helen and Mike McCosker. Welcome to Ground Cover with your host, Kerry Cochran, proudly brought to you by the Regenerative Agriculture Alliance and Southern Cross University. This is a show for farmers by farmers, a uniquely Australian podcast series exploring real-life stories of land managers who have undertaken the transition from conventional farming to regenerative agriculture. Each week, we'll share a unique and honest conversation about the challenges and opportunities of regenerative agriculture so you can make informed decisions about how to best manage your land. Uh, Welcome, Helen and Mike. I'd like to start with the very issue that we're talking about here, which is regenerative farming. Mike or, or Helen, what does it mean to you? For me, regenerative farming is about rebuilding the soil health, particularly um, rebuilding the the biological activity, the carbon levels within the soil, the resilience of the whole system. And so, it's a little bit more than soil when you look at resilience, because that becomes the whole ecology of the farm. Uh, Helen, what would you say? Uh, Kerry, what I would say is, I think for me, it's it's actually about how we revive and restore our communities. I don't think that we can have regenerative agriculture without actually all working together and being a part of a community because just like the soil, which is full of diversity, our communities need that same mentoring and support. So that's what regenerative agriculture is, a whole systems approach. We've had several podcasts so far, but no one has actually mentioned the community. So well done. <laughs> and we'll come back to that in a moment. But let's go to the soil and explore what Mike's understanding is of that and particularly about uh, the soil ecology, Mike. Yeah, we started as chemical farmers originally and um, we were doing everything that the latest research said we should be doing. We were doing trials on farm as far as our fertiliser rates and uh, different crop varieties and we got to a point where we had a really wet winter season and our crops pretty much failed and I started to ask the question well if we're the best farmers in the district shouldn't we be the best farmers in all conditions and I was looking at uh, the next door neighbours who were quite conventional at that stage we were no-till we were using a lot of chemical 
but we were stubble retention and no till and the next door neighbors were farming sort of half a dozen times every fellow and and i started to question what we were looking at and about then i came in contact with arden anderson talking about biological agriculture and that's when i started to have a look at the soil biology and pretty much over sort of 20 25 years started to understand that what we've been doing to the soil was actually killing the diversity in our soil and killing a lot of the soil biology and and creating imbalances there that were causing us half the problems we were trying to treat so it's taken some time but but that's been a pathway of learning about what the soil biology is and uh, how we improve it, how we feed it. It's, you know, it's, it's living critters in the soil. So it's a bit like us, you know, there's food we like and food we don't like and things that we do that uh, cause us harm and things that we do that help us to flourish. And so the soil biology, we approach it very much the same way. You know, what, what can we feed it that it likes and grows and how do we build the diversity of that biology in the soil and how do we build the overall activity of that biology in the soil? I guess that's been my focus for the last 20 odd years is, is how do we do that and how does that turn into then good healthy crops that are productive and profitable for me as a farmer now you mentioned arden anderson uh, he's an american who had a very strong understanding strong understanding of soil ecology and biology could you talk a little bit about what he brought into your world the it was Twofold, Arden's actually a, a physician, so he's a medical doctor. And about the same time I started to learn about soil biology, I actually had a chemical poisoning event. That caused uh, significant health issues. In repairing those health issues, I discovered that diet was particularly important. And here was the doctor talking about how we grew our food because that was important to the nutrients that were in the food. And it was really an epiphany for me because all of a sudden I realized that how we grew the food affected the nutrients that were in the food and the nutrients that were in the food very much affected our own health. And so the whole chain sort of got put together for me in a very personal way. Can I assume therefore that the medical issues you had disappeared once you changed your farming operation? Yeah, it was, I, I had to change my diet. At that stage, I was a wheat farmer and I had to go off wheat. <laughs> uh, so I had to go off wheat and dairy and sugar. And when I did that, my health changed overnight. Within a month, I, I went from being 50% health to close to 100% health, which was tremendously uh, powerful experience to have. Now it was then back to, to focusing on, well, how do we get those nutrients in the plant? And that's what Arden was talking about. And it was a combination of things. I was speaking about biology a minute ago, but there's more to it than biology. There's, there's probably three legs to the stool. One would be the, the mineral balances within the soil. So we've got to work on those mineral balances. But then how do we get those mineral balances to work effectively? Well, that's where the biology comes into play because the biology activates all of those minerals and quite a lot of the biology has direct linkage into the, the plant system. So the biology is the interface between the minerals and the, and the plant. And then the, the third leg to the stool is the plant itself. And, you know, I learned about 
refractometers and the sugar content of the plant. And, and as I learned how to, to get that plant producing more sugars, we, we started to understand that the plant was actually running the biology because the plant would move those sugars down into the roots. It would stimulate the biology that it particularly wanted to pick up the minerals in the, in the right ratios that it wanted. So, you know, those three legs of working on the soil minerals working on the activity of the biology, the health and diversity of the biology, and then working on the balance of the plant itself. We found that when we worked on all of those three legs together, we got tremendous movement in our overall system and in the food quality that was coming off it, the quantity that was coming off it, and, and the overall profitability with which we could do that. Now, this is a transformational change for you because, you know, a couple of years before that, you're putting a lot of chemicals on your soil and all of a sudden, now you're looking at the biology and you're telling me and telling others that the plant is actually controlling what's happening in the soil. Quite a, quite a change of position, isn't it? You know, it is. we, um, we get out there and as farmers, we're, we're managing nature and we, we get a bit arrogant about that. We get to think that we're pretty clever and we can put all of these additives on and get different responses from nature. But at the end of the day, nature's a... Uh, has some amazing processes in in place and it's really a case i find now as a manager of me trying to understand the natural systems and work with those natural systems rather than the arrogance that i had before where i thought that that i could control nature now i'm trying to work with nature could we go back to when you first assess the soil you've just been putting chemicals on arden anderson saying certain things no doubt you did measure the soil then in terms of microorganisms in terms of carbon and no doubt you have a good understanding of what is in your soil now could you make a comparison between the two yeah we've got our farming country is is heavy black soil my first port of call was was actually as a brookside agronomist and that was working just on the balance of the minerals so you know, we look very carefully at the calcium to magnesium ratio, the, the ratio of all of the major cations, which is calcium, magnesium and potassium and sodium and hydrogen. And um, We also look at the phosphate in the system, the balance of the nitrogen being nitrate nitrogen and ammonia nitrogen. So we're looking at the balance of all of those minerals. If we just work on the minerals, we can spend a lot of money trying to balance things up. We had a soil that was about 48% calcium. We like to see calcium up at 65%. So if you do a cation exchange equation, just a bit of mathematics, you end up going, well, you need 12 tonnes of calcium you know, of lime on that farm. And I saw my neighbours actually do that and fail. So I went, well, that's not the answer. So there's got to be more to it. And that's where we started to really look at the biology and the biological activity. And we found that, um, if I can give you an example, we that same soil that was 48% calcium, when we measured the calcium in it, it actually had 10,000, 10,500 kilograms per hectare of calcium. We put on one tonne of lime over two years. So that's at 35% calcium, that's 350 kilos of calcium. When we did the next test two years later, we actually were up to 52%. But when you looked at the kilos per hectare, we were up to 15,000, 15,500. So we'd added 5,000 kilos per hectare to the soil test, but we'd only put on physically 350 kilograms. So the How do you difference, explain that? Well, the difference was the biology. We activated the biology and the biology now took the small amount of calcium that we put on 
but went out and liberated more calcium from the from the mineral substrate. So it was really the activity of the biology that lifted that physical soil test. You know, the soil test is only ever a, a, an estimate of what's going on there. And we found that if we can, quite often, if we can put small priming amounts in and we activate the biology, that the biology actually gets everything going in the system and balances it all up for us. Now, can I assume that you got the biology going by stopping applying uh, chemicals? Wherever we could, we stopped using chemicals. We weren't able to stop that completely because we just didn't have the farming systems and the equipment to do that. So we we went from um, residual chemicals to knockdown chemicals. That meant that at least when we put the chemical on, it hit the plant that we wanted to hit, killed it, and it was no longer active. So residual chemicals that you apply and they're still sitting in the soil working six and nine months later, that's continuing to do damage all the time. So we went away from residual chemicals and to knockdown chemicals. And every time we had to put a chemical on, we came back in with an inoculum. So we can't get compost. We're a broad acre farm, so we can't get enough compost. If we could get a good compost, I'd use compost. Uh, we could use a other food sources like manures. We had a, a feedlot locally, so we, we tried a bit of feedlot manure. Uh, and this is where we came in contact with the soil food web laboratories because all of a sudden now we could test biological activity that we couldn't do before. Well, the soil food web laboratory promotes compost teas and they're very useful too if you can make a, a good compost tea. So, you know, we'd re-inoculate the activity. If we did any damage to it, we might have been taking one step backwards. We'd try and feed the biology and re-inoculate with good biology and, and take two steps forwards again. So you're using compost tea as a major strategy now, which is probably very important. When you went to the soil food, food lab and you tested your soil, say the most recent one, what's it saying about your uh, biological activity now? Oh, tremendously higher than, than what it was and a lot better balanced. Most of our crops that we grow commercially have some sort of mycorrhizal association so that's a, a beneficial fungi in the soil so our soil should be fungal dominant in in most situations there's a few crops that we that like it bacterially dominant but most of our crops the commercial crops like it uh, fungally dominant and and we are now we weren't when we first started it was a very bacterial very early successional soil now we've got a lot better fungal activity there. And the result of that is that our, our carbon levels have lifted. We were down sort of around sort of 0.7% carbon. We're now up to about 2.5%. That's a very low carbon originally, not 0.7% on black soil. That's uh, very low. Well, if you go out to Moree at the moment, it's probably still high. <laughs> a lot of the farmers that, you know, a lot of this country that's been farmed for 30, 40, 50 years is, is under 1% soil organic carbon now. And I've done soil tests around the place where it's been at 0.5%. Right. Well, that's that's terrible, isn't it? It, it, it is. And, and that's the major problem that we're dealing with. There's no resilience left in that system at all. There's no buffer. There's no natural health. And that's why we get any sort of swings in the environment. Then we just are, are really at the, we just have to take what we get. Now, tell me, now that your soil carbon is increasing in percentage terms, what effect is that having on soil water? This is a, a major effect because carbon holds the water in the soil at, at four times its own weight. 
and it's still able to give that water back to the plant when the plant needs it. So we're holding more water and it's plant available water. So that, you know, our, our high magnesium soils, they do tend to, to hold a bit of water anyway, but they get to a wilting point where they just won't let go of the water because of that tight clay structure. They just hang on to it. So now as our clay structure is getting more balanced because our minerals are now more balanced, and the biology's largely done that, so that water's now a bit more available. But also, we're holding more water in the soil, in the in the organic uh, structure of the soil, and that's all plant available as well. So we're much more resilient than we were. Still not where I'd like to be, you know, particularly in a drought, a drought like we're currently experiencing. Uh, you know, it's tough everywhere, but but uh, we're better than we were. Can we talk then about productivity, as to what it used to be like to what it's like today? Overall, our yields are probably, uh, you know, in a farming sense, our yields are probably about the same still, but our chemical input would be 10% of what it used to be. Wow. And our fertiliser input would be probably 50% of what it used to be, uh, 50 to 60%. We use different fertiliser now. We use fertilisers that work with the biology and help promote the biology and feed the biology as well as the plant. While our, our yields are, are similar, our, our costs are much lower. In a farming sense, it's probably been more exciting. In the grazing sense, sorry. My grandfather on this property used to run uh, 140 breeding cows and the farming balance was about the same as what it is now. We went to holistic grazing, which is a, just a different style of grazing rather than being set in the paddock. You now move the bunch of cattle together so you've got a high stock density, but for short periods of time. So you're in the paddock, you graze it off, and then you get out and let the paddock recover. Now that recovery process helps build the roots of the plant and the strength of the plant roots in the soil, which really helps that biological activity in the soil which then helps your balance and your productivity and everything else after that so simply by changing our animal management we went from 140 cows up to about 220 cows we then put in place a barley sprouting shed and that enabled us to keep a plane of nutrition under the cows and take the pressure off the grazing country because this shed we get about 10 kilos per day out of the shed for the cows. So we're taking about half the, the diet out of the shed and the other half of the diet out of the paddock. So that allowed us to go up to 300 cows, but still have less impact than what my grandfather had had on the place. So we've two and a half times the cows. Now, even now in the middle of this horrendous drought, we're still holding 220 cows and they're, they're in good order. We're only just now running out of dry matter. So we're going to have to bring them into a, a sacrifice paddock and we'll feed them hay along with the sprouts and, and that way we'll, we'll take the pressure off the, off the rest of the place. But I think that's a pretty amazing outcome given the season. We'll come back to this again in a moment, but just before we go to Helen, I'm just wondering about that barley sprouting shed and do you just take barley seed, wet it, let it sprout and that represents the beginning of uh, what you feed the cows? Yeah, yeah, it's a five-day process. We put barley seed in there in a controlled environment, so the, the temperature is very carefully controlled. It does have some lights in there to help the sprouts uh, green up. 
and it gets watered on a on a regular base for about you know about thirty seconds every hour. And um, and in five days' time, we take out you know two and a half tons, three tons of of uh, of sprout material that we feed to the cows. Terrific. All right, let's uh, switch attention to the community and Helen and your enthusiasm for that aspect of of regenerative agriculture. Where do we start? Well, Kerry, I think for us, uh, so we live in a really small community village called Wallingra. Um, it's actually, we have a hall and that's our community. And back in 2015, we had a pretty severe drought. You know, Mike and I were sitting at the, the table and we were just commenting on how when Mike was a kid, there was basically a busload of 40 kids that used to go to the local school. And now we were, we've got four children and I think there were six on the bus, you know, and our communities have really suffered through the change that's happened over the last 30 or 40 years. Mike said, gosh, we feel like we're like a frog in a boiling pot, you know, with what's going on in our communities. It's like a slow burn of, you know, with droughts. They don't happen suddenly, they happen slowly and it's that frog in a boiling pot. So we thought, well, what, what can we do to really make a difference? So I've always had a love for music and I said, oh, let's have a, let's have a, a concert, a Baroque concert. And Mike said, oh, goodness me, we're not quite that broke. So we coined an idea to have a big music festival in our local community and um, we got some money from Foundation for Re- FRRR, Foundation for Regional Re- and Remote Re- Renewal. We incorporated seven of our primary schools and did a music and art roadshow, which we brought music into those communities. And then we did a, a gala concert night at Wallingra. We had about 300 people in our small hall and we had musicians from all around Australia. And it was the most incredible experience that we actually, in this drought where everyone was feeling really stretched, it was transformational for our community actually it actually it actually getting everyone involved initially and the the process was really difficult getting volunteers and then the day after that concert I think we had 35 volunteers come and help clean up and this is you know our community is only 80 strong so that's a pretty extraordinary number of people to get involved and I think you know the issue of of connection in our community is really important the way that we get through and be resilient in our communities is connection and I think that's a part of regeneration that's really important, you know. I think particularly now we're seeing, you know, again, the worst drought that we've seen in Wollongra for the last, what, 140 years. You know, this resilience is a tough call. It's I think whether you're a regenerative farmer or not, droughts has, has really smashed all of us. I, I can say that pretty clearly from experience. But the the connection and uh, the connecting commu- to communities is actually what, what keeps us together. Have you been able to do this each year or was this a one-off affair? No, we actually did it. We did it the sec- the following year in 20, we did it in 2015 and 2016. And we actually recently just put on a beautiful um, music festival at Tenerfield, the Beat of the Bush Festival. We worked with an incredible group of musicians that came from, they were internationally renowned and we had 160 rural kids that came into Tenterfield and had a week of music making and concert and singing and learning how to write songs and look, the effect it had on the Tenterfield community as well as the extended community was wonderful. Everyone, kids in, in rural and remote areas don't have access to music in the arts like, you know, our city cousins. Particularly when things that when when you're doing it tough, an outlet is through the arts and through music. It's really really important that 
particularly our younger generation has access to that because particularly with our levels of mental health happening in our communities right now, this is really key that we have some way of, of finding a space where we can connect. If that's through music or the arts or whatever it is, it's really, really important. Otherwise, we have this issue of ongoing mental health and well-being that's really uh, affected our communities. It would seem that music and art generally add spirit to a community that's suffering that wouldn't exist otherwise. Yeah, and I think that it's about having those amazing conversations that you can connect in language and story, you know, the storytelling and the story making of an understanding that we're all in this together. You know, the, the drought is a tough one for all of us and if we're all in this together and we all talk through, you know, these really difficult issues, that's what's going to get us through. It's a hope. And I think that's, again, regenerative agriculture, that's what's really powerful for me. It actually is the hope. It's the hope that we can actually get through this because, you know, if we don't have that hope, we don't have a lot. Yeah, I feel like this understanding of, of how music and art is such an incredibly expressive way of connecting to our emotional state of hope. It's the same thing for me with regenerative agriculture. Regenerative agriculture has some incredible solutions out there, you know, helping mitigate drought, helping restore the small water cycles, the, the effect that it has on biodiversity in the soil and biodiversity in the land and, and the way that we connect as landowners to connecting to our land and to honouring the land in a really powerful way. So they're all, for me, it's all interconnected about how we connect with the music and the arts and how we learn through that journey of connection is how we actually connect to our as stewards of the land. So for me, very important. I think a key word from my point of view in terms of regenerative agriculture is the word holism. And I hear you saying that all the time, but you're using a different word, which is uh, connections, interconnections. But basically, we're talking about the same language. And that is a different language to what is apparent, I think, in a more traditional or conventional approach to agriculture. Yeah, that's, I absolutely agree, Kerry. I think, um, you know, in regenerative agriculture, there's a lot of discussion about the holistic approach. And that's, that's another similar, you know, connection, hol holistic biodiversity, everyone working together in different ways. And in a biodiverse system, when there's a, a, a loss of diversity, things start breaking down. That aspect of diversity is really, really important. And it's actually regenerative agriculture is about how we build that, di that diversity in ways that, and I think this is the beautiful thing about regenerative agriculture, there's no one clear pathway. It's a, a process of learning and understanding a whole heap of different uh, techniques. And yes, that idea of a holistic view that everyone has a, a particular way that will make a difference. And in working with those differences, coming together and getting those, particularly as farmers, learning through the adversities and, and the mistakes, I think that actually brings to the table a whole heap of different aspects of connectivity and connection and, and diversity. One of the words that Charlie Massey quotes in his book, The Call of the Reed Warbler, is that of emergence. And emergence happens when a, a system operates uh, to perfection. And I hear that in your story about the community, and I'm hearing it too about Mike and his farm. So if I could go to Mike now, Mike, would you say that whole concept of emergence, that is a system that's working to perfection, has allowed certain things to emerge which you hadn't thought about? 
Absolutely. I think one of the the greatest lessons I ever saw around that and, and emergence is actually in connection to this community side of things. When we had that Not Quite Broke Festival, I saw the community return. It had declined to the point that it was just about dead. And through you know one weekend of music, we got everybody to re-engage and that energy and excitement and connection stayed there for, for you know for nearly 12 months and then we did it again and so that helped it uh, stay there for a couple of years it was, it was a real transformation i think that aspect of connection you know we all say that that as a farmer we say that you know we love the land and uh one of the things I remember saying as a young farmer was that I wanted to leave my land in better condition than I received it. I think the only thing that was stopping me do that was was ignorance of how the natural system's working. So as my study of nature has happened, what has emerged from me is, is the ability to really show a love for my land. And I think in the community, what Helen's talking about with the with the arts and the music, that allows us to to love the diversity within our community too it gives everybody a way to express themselves that's not intellectual or it's not a, a, you know an argument about what's right and what's wrong it's just an expression of culture that shows there and builds connection and builds heart space and and allows us to go home now with an open heart and reconnect to our land in a way that we're moving out of our our head and and back into our heart space and that connection with nature is a lot stronger that way. The uh, trigger for your transformation was really Arden Anderson when he uh, was involved with you and teaching you about some of his ideas, and you've taken it from there and you've really worked on it. In terms of other farmers in your community or around Australia, is there a message there about what they need to do to become more regenerative? Yeah, Arden was a very important part of my learning. He mentored me in my early learning stage. Don't underestimate the power of that community activity and that culture there because I'd been working with community for, you know, for probably 20 years. I'd been involved in, in land care and the catchment management committees and you know, looking for solutions in natural resource uh, sharing issues that were going on. I saw more transformation in one weekend of music and arts in our community than I'd seen in 20 years worth of working in any sort of other programs. And that really surprised me as, you know, standing back and looking at at community resilience, I'd never even connected to that side of it. Whereas my wife's family, Helen's family, were always musical. So she knew that in her own soul. And that's why she was so passionate about bringing that back into the community. I, I didn't know it. I'm not naturally musical. But when I saw the results of that in the community, I went, wow, that's just incredible. That's been more effective than any of the brain-based, logical-based solutions that, that I'd come up with over 20 years. So I think connecting to the land and being able to express ourselves in our connection with that land in a way that is building life and building soil, building diversity, that comes more easily with an open heart. And that's where the community needs to be strong because that community helps you keep your heart open, particularly in tough times like now. 
It's a lovely connection, the heart and the head. The head is always thinking through things on the land, but the heart attaches to what is my farm. But you brought the, far, the, the heart in in a different way, at least um, Helen, her musicianship did that. And really, I think there's a message here perhaps for everyone in Australia, in rural communities, that uh, uh, don't leave the heart out of regenerative agriculture. Just a, a brief comment from Helen first and then back to you, Mike. Yeah, that is absolutely. I think that's the thing. It's about the heart. You know, in, through our journey with regenerative agriculture, we've been working with an awesome group of people and Charlie Arnott comes to mind and he's he, what he says about regenerative agriculture and where it actually starts is between our ears. And for me, it's actually what's going on in our heart. You know, if we can actually move what's between our ears down to our heart, you know, I think that that probably has has been the biggest transition and and I think it's really it's really warming to hear Mike's words because sometimes we forget about that all of that connectedness we sometimes get stuck in the busyness of it you know and the toughness of it and the harshness of it and it's really great to hear and come back to the conversation about about where the heart sits Mike yeah and Helen touched on it there before you know with this aspect of hope because when we're looking at the sort of landscape that we are now, that it's harsh and dry, that's the sort of thing that can squash our heart a little bit. And it's the hope that it will end that allows us to stay open and stay connected. Regenerative agriculture certainly helped me with that because all of a sudden I, I discovered that there is a way that, you know, there's a hope here that I can rebuild this soil. I can bring it from under 1% carbon back up to you know where it was previously five six seven eight percent carbon and all of a sudden now i've got a really healthy vibrant resilient system so when i learned about regenerative practice that gave me that hope and even sitting here now looking at a really harsh landscape i know when it rains that it's going to flourish again i think keeping that hope there helps keep the heart open keeping the heart open allows us to have that really strong connection in in a way that promotes life and promotes resilience and uh you know you 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 really can't do it any other way you know ultimately if we try and do it the way we've been doing it you know where we're at war with nature and we're out there killing weeds and killing insects then we're ultimately killing ourselves we're we're killing our our own connection to the land we're killing our our sense of hope now we're always at war Peace is a much better place to be and and having the hope that we can rebuild that diversity and rebuild that bounty, uh, uh, you know, the the abundance of nature, that really just keeps me going anyway. (laughs) It's a wonderful note to finish on in what has been uh, an exciting interview. I I enjoyed every moment of this because you're really saying things that I think everybody can connect with. And uh, it's been interesting hearing uh, the relationship between the head and the heart. And really, I think in that, in those few words, you've defined what regenerative agriculture is all about. So thank you, Helen, and thank you, Mike. Thank you, Kerry. Thank you. Thanks very much, Kerry. Thanks for listening to Ground Cover. Hit subscribe now so you never miss an episode. And for further resources on this topic, head to scu.edu.au forward slash RAA. This podcast has been produced by the Regenerative Agriculture Alliance on behalf of Southern Cross University, a collaboration designed to build a more resilient agriculture industry in Australia.